When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After a stunning day of World Cup qualifying all over the world, the international action continues this weekend. We'll give you a short rundown of the big games to watch and then send you over to our friends at The Lead for their excellent story about Jesse Marsh at Leeds United, which aired over there earlier this week. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for the weekend of March 25th. Now, as I said at the start of the show, this is another big weekend for World Cup qualifiers. Some spots are starting to actually get determined, and we had big games in North America, Europe, South America, Asia on Thursday. Today is when we get started with Africa. This is a particularly brutal qualification process, in my personal opinion. They've done groups, and they've gone through all sorts of different stages, and we have arrived now to the final stage, which is five home-and-home playoff matches. The winners of each of these playoff matches goes to the World Cup. It's really that simple, and it's really that cutthroat, and it's pretty... Uh, amazing when you look at some of these matchups. It gets started bright and early today at 11 a.m. That's not actually that bright or that early, uh, but it gets started then. <laughs> 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus, Democratic Republic of the Congo against Morocco. Continues at 1 p.m. Cameroon versus Algeria. That's a big matchup on ESPN Plus. 1 p.m. Mali versus Tunisia. And then at 3.30 p.m., we have two just absolutely insane matches Egypt versus Senegal and Ghana versus Nigeria. Both of those games are on ESPN Plus, and it's crazy to think that two of those four teams I just listed just won't be at the World Cup this year. And it's really kind of unfortunate. We also have one holdover game from the South American qualifiers from yesterday. Argentina plays Venezuela at 7.30 p.m. on Fubo Sports Network. Now, while the action is limited mostly to internationals on the men's side of the game, on the women's side of the game, there's plenty of professional club games happening, including in the NWSL. The Challenge Cup is going on tonight at 7.30 p.m. Racing Louisville takes on Houston Dash on Paramount+. Plus. Also at 7.30 p.m., the defending champions, Washington Spirit, hosting New York, New Jersey, Gotham FC on Paramount+. Plus. And at 8.30, Chicago Red Stars taking on Kansas City Current on Paramount+. Plus. Saturday is pretty much all quiet on the international front, but there are some random Major League Soccer games thrown in here. I guess these are teams that decided they wanted to play during the international break. At 5 p.m., Charlotte taking on Cincinnati. That'll be on Tudayane. And then at 6 p.m., Sporting KC hosting Real Salt Lake, also on Tudayane. There's also a Liga MX game, Pumas versus Mazatlan on Tudayane at 6 p.m. And the NWCL Challenge Cup continues at 4 p.m., Angel City FC hosting O.L. Reign, 6 p.m. North Carolina Courage versus Orlando Pride, and at 10 p.m. San Diego Wave, another expansion team, against the Portland Thorns. Those are all on Paramount+. Plus. On Sunday, of course, we come right back to the CONCACAF Octagonal, 4.05 p.m. Canada versus Jamaica. Canada can finally wrap up the World Cup spot they did not wrap up yesterday night. That'll be on Paramount+. Plus. 
in the U.S. and on Canadian TV as well, I, I would presume. 5.05 p.m. El Salvador hosting Costa Rica. That's on Paramount+. Plus. USA versus Panama at 7 p.m. USA can secure a playoff spot with a win or with a draw and secure the World Cup with a win. That's on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m. And then at 7.05 p.m., Honduras hosting Mexico. That'll be on Paramount Plus and Telemundo. And with that, I will send it over to our friends at The Lead for their story on Jesse Marsh, which was done in collaboration with some of our colleagues over at The Athletic UK. Yeah, I think there's probably a stigma. (laughs) I'm not sure Ted Lasso helped. When American Jesse Marsh was named head coach of the English soccer club Leeds United three weeks ago, he made that reference to the fictional soccer coach he figured he would probably be compared to. Hey, how you doing? This is Ted Lasso. I'm the new head coach of the Tottenham Hotspurs, and uh, I'd like to talk to the queen, please. Now... A few games into his tenure, Marsh might actually be doing something a little Ted Lasso-esque. Today, The Athletic's Phil Hay explains why Leeds United tapped the American to try and save their season, and how he seems to be creating a winning spirit within the squad. And Rafinha's in! This is a big moment! This is a massive moment! From Wondery and The Athletic, I'm Anders Kelto. It's Monday, March 21st, and this is The Lead. Phil, hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Phil, here in the United States, the TV show Ted Lasso has been a runaway smash hit. Is it just as popular there in the UK? And have you also fallen in love with it? It has been very popular here. I wouldn't say it's been a phenomenon in the way that certain series are. I mean, if I think of Squid Game that was on Netflix, for example, that Uh became the sort of thing that everybody was watching. Everybody was trying to watch in the space of about three or four days. It has, though. It's drawn a lot of attention. It's had a lot of coverage in the UK. I've watched some of it. I must confess, I'm not a huge fan, not a massive Ted Lasso um, Uh aficionado, but there are plenty of people over here who are, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to Jesse Marsh, the real life American coach who some people are comparing to Ted Lasso, Phil, I want to ask you a little about the club that Marsh is now managing. Can you just give us a little background on Leeds United? What's the rough history of this club? Well, Leeds are based in one of the biggest cities in England. The history of the city is the textiles here, a lot of textile industry. They're just over 100 years old. They're centenary back in 2019. And they're a club who very much go through peaks and troughs. They've had golden eras, uh, the biggest of them in the 1960s and the 1970s with a coach by the name of Don Ravey. transformed them from a fairly low-level professional club, but a club who had won nothing of any significance, into a club who, under him, won just about everything and and anything there was for a club to win. And so, at last, Leeds have got what they've deserved, a major trophy. A club with a very, very big fan base. It's what we call over here a one-club city. It really is the only show in town. You've now got a club where they sell out Ellen Road, which is a 36,000 capacity stadium for every home game. And they also have a waiting list of season tickets, which is now well up over 20,000. So the popularity is huge. The popularity is, is only increasing. 
they have had this tendency of going through you know very very good periods or, or spectacular periods as they did with Revy, and then going through very very difficult periods as they did through the 1980s and again through the first 18 19 years of the the 21st century a history of financial issues as well which were the the big reason for for everything being so difficult before Marcelo Bielsa came in in 2018 as as head coach okay so Marcelo Bielsa this you know world famous Argentinian coach arrived at Leeds in 2018. Phil, can you talk about how they got such a high-profile guy when they weren't even playing in England's top division and how Bielsa helped restore some of the club's former glory? It was a massive gamble on the part of Leeds to go with Bielsa. We are starting a new chapter in our life and we are very honoured to that Marcelo have chosen this club uh, to come back to Europe and coach for the first time in the UK. It was a huge gamble financially. I mean, he'd cost what very few clubs pay a head coach in the championship, which in England is the division below the Premier League. But Leeds had been drifting for a long, long time. They'd gone through so many head coaches, they'd never really got properly close to promotion. It just wasn't falling into place. And, and they took the decision in that summer that if they were going to do anything and if they were finally going to pull this together, they needed a head coach with serious clout, a head coach with serious ideas, somebody who could have total authority within the club, but also within the dressing room. And there was no expectation really that Bielsa would say yes. I mean, to a large degree, he was an elite coach who was almost stepping below his natural level by going to Leeds. But he was tempted by the project. He was sold by the project. La fortaleza del proyecto deportivo e institucional. I was convinced by the strength uh, of Leeds United as a club and an institution and on the field as well, the possibilities of Leeds United uh, on the sport, in the sporting sense. And it was 100% of marriage made in heaven and, and it has been, without any doubt, the biggest and most impactful decision Leeds have made in a generation. Still held Acosta and he's played it to Click, who's in the penalty area and it comes back! Yes! Oh my word! What a goal! What a goal that is from Leeds United! A terrific, terrific team goal! I don't think generally supporters of football clubs find it that easy to fall in love with managers or coaches. They come and go, some are successful, but it can be quite brief. But if you walk through Leeds now, you will find murals of him. He's absolutely everywhere. And it has been. It's like nothing I've ever seen. And some of the football that his team played at the best was the best that I've seen at Leeds and, and the best that a lot of people have seen in their lifetimes. As the ball comes into the box and there's a header! Yes! Oh, what a finish <laughs> from Tyler Roberts! A diving header across the goalkeeper into the top corner of the net. Just peels. All right, so Bielsa brought Leeds back to the Premier League a couple of years ago. He had the team playing, as you said, some of the best soccer that fans had ever seen. He's a club legend. Phil, they parted ways with him a few weeks ago when the team was really struggling. So why didn't things work out for Bielsa at Leeds this season? The problem this season was in part that it never got going. It has been a downward spiral. The injury problems he had this season were absolutely chronic. Every single player of note in the squad has now missed minutes at some stage. But one of Bielsa's unusual traits was that he liked to stick with a very, very small squad. The size of squad that he preferred and the theory behind this was that he never wanted to have excess players kicking around at the training ground who were unlikely to play and struggling to get much game time so therefore potentially becoming a bit of a problem. He never wanted that. But it meant that once the injuries started to bite this season, the resources were just too thin. They absolutely were. And things like his man-marking system started to become problematic. It was leading to some very, very heavy defeats. I mean, it did seem that he was going to sort of do 
the man marking no matter what. And it was pretty clear that it just wasn't working. Yeah, it was a man wedded to an ideal. They had conceded 20 goals in their last five Premier League games. 60 goals so far this season. No other team um, in the Premier League has conceded as many goals. In you know, fact, he stuck with it. He continued to press on in the same way, continued to bang the drum about, you know, doing the same things, sticking to the same principles. And I think as well, towards the end, the players were in need of a refresh. I, I think the confidence levels had dropped badly because what was working for so long suddenly was no longer. Oh, that's a lovely ball. Kane to Son for four. But in the end, after a 4-0 defeat to Tottenham, the club essentially had just lost confidence in the possibility that he was going to bring the results to heel and that he would avoid relegation. Leeds slide ever closer to the relegation mire. A fourth successive Premier League defeat. More heavy numbers against. And Marcelo Bielsa finds his reign in uh, real concern. Okay, so that is the situation that Jesse Marsh was stepping into. And it seems like a bit of a pressure cooker. You know, this club with very passionate fans, high expectations. Arguably the most beloved coach in the history of the club has just left. And in comes Jesse to try and right the ship. Why did Leeds think he was the right guy to help save their season? Well, people might know that Leeds have a minority shareholding here, a big minority shareholding, which is the investment arm of the San Francisco 49ers. And it would be easy to assume that American coach coming in has in some way been influenced by American ownership or American shareholders. But actually, this goes back two years, 2020, when Victor Orta, who was the man who pointed Bielsa, wanted to make contact with Marsh because his analysis, data analysis of coaches across Europe had suggested that Marsh was one of the more promising out there. He grew up in the States, obviously, he went through Princeton and he went up in the, the Red Bull stable as um, New York Red Bull's coach. And from there, he went to, to Salzburg, who are essentially the prominent team um, in Austria. They dominate the league over there. And he was a success. And it's Salzburg who can celebrate. They head to their third UEFA Champions League group stage. A job very well done on the night. He won the league. He won um, the Austrian Cup with them as well. Andreas Olmer lifts yet another trophy for RB Salzburg. And what happened was almost a, a bit of a sort of natural transition, which was that he was successful at Salzburg. So he went to RB Leipzig, another Red Bull club. And that was at the, the beginning of this season. And that really was his first shot at a, a seriously big job. But it wasn't a success for him at Leipzig. He lasted for four or five months. There were various issues. His wife was diagnosed with breast cancer at the time, so that was clearly a lot of pressure in the background. But I think from a footballing perspective, he felt that he'd gone into a club where what he expected to find and, and what he thought he would have to work with and the way in which he thought it would work when he applied his tactics actually wasn't the, the reality. And he said himself, you know, you have to look at it and say it didn't work. You have to look at it and say it was a failure. I think what he's hoping this time round is that the landscape it leads and, and the land as he finds it as he comes in is much more fertile for him to do what he wants to do. It seemed pretty clear to me that he, with hindsight, he didn't think it was set up for him to work at Leipzig. And beyond the fact that Jesse Marsh had been identified as a talented up-and-coming coach and had some serious coaching experience in Europe, why else did Leeds think that he would be a good fit for their team at this moment? Well, one of the things that Leeds were very set on was making sure that when they replaced Bielsa, they didn't decimate the whole project. So they liked the fact that Jesse Marsh's teams tended to cover a lot of distance. You know, they were always trained and coached and conditioned to run. And I think my style of play, my aggressiveness... Uh, the, the desire I have for teams to be intensive and to run and, and to make things difficult for the opponent fits with 
what has been done here the last three and a half years. So, Which, I mean, Bielsa, um, the running stats under Bielsa with Leeds are just off the scale. You know, in terms of intensity sprints and distance covered, they are miles beyond the average side. But also with Salzburg, they could be quite possession-based, which Bielsa's team were as well. His sort of attacking style is very much pressing with the idea that you squeeze an opposition footballer, you take the ball, you turn from defence into attack, transition very, very quickly, and you go forward at speed and look to score goals in those circumstances before the opposition can recover. I will work toward that every day and I know that our, our, our players have already shown that in, in, in spades. So um, it will be fun. It will be difficult and, and there'll be a lot to manage, but I know we'll have fun. A few years ago, Bob Bradley, who was a former U.S. men's national team coach here in the U.S., was selected to coach Swansea and he famously lasted exactly 11 games at the helm before being let go. It seemed to me, Phil, at that time that there was a lot of skepticism from the club and from fans towards Bob Bradley. And I think part of that could be chalked up to the fact that he was an American. And I think he may have felt that way as well. Do you think there is a stigma still towards U.S. soccer coaches? Very much so. And it's unfair to an extent that they have to deal with that coming over here. I mean, it was a deliberate thing on Jesse Marsh's part to mention Ted Lasso in his first press conference. I haven't watched the show, but... I get it. I get it. Like, people hate hearing the word soccer. They hate hearing, you know... I mean, I've used the word football since I was a, a football, professional football player. So he I think nipped it in the bud and, and the really took the conversation by the throat by, you know, mentioning it and saying, look, you know, there is this stigma. But you have to say with Marsh, he's been in Europe for a long time now. You know, he, he was at Salzburg, he was at Leipzig, two very successful clubs in, in their own right. And to my mind, you know, this is not to say that he'll be a success at Leeds because I think we're a long way from being able to draw a conclusion about that. But I do think he's qualified. And the fact that he's American should be an absolute irrelevance. And all I can say is the only way I know how to do things is to go all in, to give everything I have, to believe in who I am, to believe in the people that I work with, and to try to maximize what we are every day. And and I find if you can do that effectively, that you can be incredibly surprised with the human spirit and what you can achieve. So... That sounds like Ted Lasso, I think, from what I've heard. (laughs) And without taking anything away from Marco Bielsa here and what he accomplished at Leeds, Phil, are there ways in which you think Jesse Marsh might actually be a better fit for this team, at least at this particular time? One of the big approaches behind the scenes has been communication for him. I mean, Bielsa was famously distant from the players. He never had close relationships with them. He used to joke with us that if the players knew him any better than they did, they would like him even less. (laughs) Which, for what it's worth, I don't think is necessarily true. They all thought the world of him. But Marsh is far more outgoing and, and he's far more touchy-feely. And I think that's been clever to an extent, but I think it needed to be done. When you're out of form, as Leeds were, that is when people do need a bit of a shoulder to lean on and they do need a manager they can speak to and, and somebody who will listen to them and interact with them. I think that can definitely help. But one of the things that struck me about him is that he's made no attempt to hide from anything in press conferences. As I say, he brought up the Ted Lasso reference himself, but he was always also, I thought, sensibly, quite willing to accept the fact that Bielsa had been such a hugely popular figure. My respect and admiration for Marcelo Bielsa is massive. And I've followed his career and and I've watched what he's done from afar. And certainly um, he's a hero here. I just want to help take 
the torch to the next phase. And to say to people, you don't need to forget about him and you don't need to love him any less because he's gone. And it was 100% the right thing to do. If the team plays with passion and they play with heart and they give everything they have, then I think normally the fans will tolerate the coach even if they don't like his accent or, the, or if he's not as, as popular as the previous coach. And over time, I found that I've always had an incredibly passionate and, and well-connected relationship with the fan bases everywhere I've gone. Okay, coming up, how things have gone for Jesse Marsh at Leeds so far. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right, so Phil, when Jesse Marsh took over at Leeds three weeks ago, they were, as you mentioned, not in a good position. They were in danger of being relegated, which I think would have been truly devastating for this team. So with that as a backdrop, can you walk us through Jesse Marsh's first couple of games? His first game was away at Leicester. It was a good, strong performance and they didn't deserve to lose. They did lose 1-0, but they had a lot of the game and had enough chances to win it. And I think my overriding feeling coming away was that he was clearly a, a decent communicator in the sense of being able, you know, in, in a short space of time, say, look, at a basic level, this is what I want from you. This is what I want you to do. And the players to be able to do that. His next game is a 3-0 defeat to Aston Villa, which was quite honestly an absolute disaster. It was a dreadful performance and there were protests against the board. There is still a lot of ill feeling in Leeds towards the decision to sack Bielsa. Marsh said himself afterwards, you know, we didn't play at all well. We didn't do the things I wanted to do properly. Yeah, disjointed, disjointed and a, and a little bit surprised um, to, to not be as clear as we were in Leicester. And he said he um, thought, you know, looking at it, that he underestimated how much pressure and how much stress the players um, were actually under. The key for us is not to carry the weight of the world. The key for us is to go step by step and stay calm and stay focused and disciplined for exactly what we want to, how we want to play and what we want to be. All right, so that brings us to this must-win game that Leeds had against Norwich just over a week ago. A game that really had one of the most dramatic endings to any game we've seen this season. Phil, can you walk us through how that game unfolded? As the past week has gone on, this game has gone from big to huge to absolutely massive, Andy. Massive today, the new manager, Jess Marsh. Desperate to see a victory. Well, once again, Leeds played very well. Scored through Rodrigo before half-time. Dan James is onto it now. And Marsh's decision was to send on Robin Koch, who is a centre-back but can also play 
as a defensive midfielder. And it changed the structure of the team. It made them a little bit too defensive. It looked like they were trying to protect a 1-0 lead. And suddenly Norwich were back in the game. Six minutes to be added on. And there was this atmosphere of complete shock around the ground. That feeling of, if we cannot beat this team, who are the worst team in the Premier League and are bottom of the division, who are Leeds actually going to beat? And it did feel in that little two or three minute period like all hope was lost. But Jesse Marsh threw on a, a player, Joe Gilhart, and with his first chance, set up Rafinha out wide, Rafinha ball back into the box, Gilhart scores from two or three, two or three yards out, and the stadium just absolutely exploded. And it was such a big moment. I felt that at one all, it was season defining because I really just didn't see how Leeds were going to get themselves out of trouble. And then suddenly, you know, Gilhart scores and it feels every bit as season defining because that is exactly the sort of moment that can stop a team going down. What did Jesse Marsh have to say after that victory? He said he'd remember the game on his deathbed. I've heard a lot about the magic of Ellen Road, and I think we, we felt that today, right? So um, the crowd was fantastic. He knew, uh, you could see in his body language, he knew how game, big the Norwich game was. Listen, obviously, the three points are incredibly massive for us, but we played well. We played well. We deserve this today. We, we had big chances. And I think from his cleaner. perspective, to have the results any which way is all that matters at this point. He, he said himself that he can't go in full-blooded trying to change everything tactically. There isn't the time. Uh, he has to make little tweaks. He has to make little changes. But above all, they have to win games and they have to accrue points and they have to make sure that, that they don't get relegated. Well... Leeds followed up that incredible comeback win with another, possibly even more dramatic, 3-2 comeback win against Wolves this past Friday. Two goals down, a long way from home. At half-time, it looked impossibly bleak. And somehow, somehow, they have won the game. So Phil, what would you say is the feeling or the vibe within the team right now? And how do people seem to be feeling about Jesse Marsh and what he's done so far? They seem pretty happy with him to me. It's impossible to pretend that results don't make a difference to that. I mean, had they drawn with Norwich and lost at Wolves and been looking at one point from his you know first batch of games as head coach on the back of the form as it had been under Bielsa, there would be a lot of tension at Leeds. They'd be extremely worried. I think what the results like this do is they buy him a bit of time, they buy him a bit of breathing space. I said earlier in this podcast, and I'll say it again, I don't think at this stage it's possible to draw any conclusions about where this is going long term. I mean, Marsh has a long term contract and will certainly be head coach next season if Leeds stay up, might well be head coach if they get relegated too. But there is going to have to be really significant investment in the playing squad when the summer comes. And that, combined with the work that Marsh does and, and his tactical approach, is going to dictate whether or not this is a success. But at the moment, the best you can say for him, and I think this is all anybody wanted to be able to say at this stage, is that he's given himself and the club a great chance of staying up. We're still learning and adjusting to the, all the kinds of football that, that I want us to play. But in the meantime, I know that I can draw on the, the, the mentality of the group and... 
um, the identity of the club. The players understand that playing for these fans means that they have to do fight till they die, to the last second of the match. And, and we have that quality in us. Well, Phil, it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds for the rest of the season and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You can follow all of Phil Hayes' coverage of Leeds United and check out his podcast, The Phil Hayes Show, at theathletic.com. From Wondery in the Athletic, I'm Andres Calto. Thanks for listening. To hear more of The Lead, you can follow us on Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Or to listen to us on your Alexa-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play The Lead Podcast. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. If you want more post-game reaction from all of the uh, World Cup qualifiers that are happening, particularly in North America, you should listen to Allocation Disorder. It's uh, You can find it on the app or on the Total Soccer Show feed pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. And I really recommend it if you want to hear more specifically about how the U.S. national team is doing. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with our usual daily show. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening and happy soccer to you all.